You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Today, uh, we're kicking off a new series, and you're going to hear a little bit about that in a minute, called Putting Money in Its Place. And we are really blessed to have uh, with us a special friend of our church to, to kick this series off. His name is Pastor Lance O'Brien. And uh, Pastor Lance was a youth pastor here not too long ago in the 90s, which is like 10 years ago. I was like a teenager then, so it was about 10 years ago. Um, right? Are we, can we all be in agreement in the 90s were like 10 years ago? Thank you. Okay, I think we have consensus. We're good. We're living in our alternate reality, alternate reality here for a moment. But um, anyway, Pastor Lance is a youth pastor here, has served in a number of different roles even more recently, and uh, recently moved, but still serves as a pastoral advisor here at Calvary. And we are just blessed to have uh, him with us this morning. So can you put your hands together for Pastor Lance O'Brien this morning? Well, good morning. How y'all doing? Awesome. So Nick called me, I don't know, or texted me, what, maybe about 10 days ago? Is it about 10 days ago and said, hey, what are you doing in October? I was like, well, you know, it's kind of my busy time of year, right, you know? Um, He said, are you able to preach? And I was like, sure. I'm always open to do that. I love doing that, you know? Absolutely. I said, what's the subject on? He said, we're talking about money. I said, no. <laughs> Changed my mind. You know, who, who wants to talk about that? I don't want to talk about that outside of church, right? I mean, the way things are going these days, who wants to talk about, about money anywhere, let alone in church? And I know all my years of pastoring, I never got emails and phone calls that kind of were like this. Pastor Lance, can you please preach some more sermons on money? We're really missing these sermons on money. We really just wish that you would amp it up, maybe get it up to about 26 out of 52 weeks a year, right? Like that never, ever happens. So, but all joking aside, we're going to start a new series this morning entitled Putting Money in Its Place. And, uh, I think it's really important subject because I think we disconnect, a lot of times we disconnect a lot of spiritual principles from practical principles, but as we kind of walk through this today, what my hope is is that the word of God will align us with the will of God. I think that's incredibly important because that's why the word of God exists, to align us with the will of God. So as we talk about money and kind of lay the foundation for this series, I hope that it will help us to understand a huge principle that is so necessary in putting money in its place in our lives. So how many of you know it's a pretty stressful time financially? Anybody agree with that? Anybody kind of pinching some pennies, looking a little bit closer at things, right? You know, it's, a, it's, it's tough out there. From May 2021... To May 2022, we have had the largest consumer price index increase in the last 41 years. Talk about the 90s. We have to go all the way back to 1981 where we had a greater increase of inflation than we've experienced in the last 18 months. 
we are living in an unprecedented time. I mean, the price at the pump, and thank God they've come down a little bit, but it's stressful, and if you raise the price at the pump, everything that's connected to gas prices is automatically gonna go up. Groceries, I was joking with my father-in-law a few weeks ago, because he loves to go to the store, and I don't understand it. I don't love to go to, he loves to go to the store, and he's like, I don't love to go to the store as much anymore, because every time I go, no matter what I put in my cart, it's a hundred bucks. It's like you go to the grocery store, you got to spend a hundred bucks. I picked up a carton of eggs yesterday, which I don't do the grocery shopping much anymore. I used to do it years ago, but I don't do it as much anymore. And I haven't bought eggs in a while. And the last time I bought eggs, it was like $1.29. I looked at the case and it was $3.49. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I wanted to take them out and just smash them on the ground, but I needed the eggs, right? So I didn't do that. But like everything is skyrocketing, energy bills, the housing market, used cars. If you've been in the market for a used, it's nuts. And the thing about it, it's not just those things. It's the thing that we usually use to purchase those things. Interest rates are now skyrocketing to control inflation. I'm not an economist. I don't understand that stuff. But yeah, let's raise the interest rate to control inflation. Someone please explain that to me. But it's crazy. Every time we turn around, the price of something is going up. Unless, of course, it's our investment account, right? That baby's getting butchered right now. I was sitting with one of my clients this past Thursday, and she was like, it's been a rough year for me. I'm really struggling. I need to make sure that my health care, my insurance, I'm getting the most value to see if I can save a little bit of money. And she said, I've lost my cushion this year. And then she proceeded to say, yeah, I lost $800,000 this year. And internally, my mouth dropped, and I also thought, that's not a cushion, that's a couch. I don't know what world you live in, but that, that's actually the house, right? You know, uh, I didn't say that. I controlled my facial expressions and everything, but man, everything's going up, but the things that we need to, right? Our savings, our investments, retirement accounts crashing, and a lot... And with it, or along with it, a lot of people's hopes, dreams, aspirations, the financial pressure for many people is going up, up, up. Blood pressure up, anxiety up, checkbook down. And it can be incredibly, incredibly overwhelming. And if we're not careful Money can start to rule our lives. And this is what I mean by that. It starts to rule our emotions. We start living out our daily life in fear. How am I going to do this? How am I going to pay for this? How am I going to accomplish this? Uh, and that fear goes to anxiety and we begin to stress and that anxiety turns to guilt when we buy things that we really need to buy but we know we can't afford to buy them. And all this cycle of emotion just begins to kind of work inside of us. And not only does it try to rule our emotions, money and, and finances try to rule our relationships, right? You know, tell me that money is not a cause of relationship stress. Anybody here never had an argument in their relationships over money? That I figured there would be, no, right? Like we begin to blame the other person. We try to control things, right? And what happens is money, when it's not in its proper place, 
And when we can't control the external circumstances that I just described, but when money itself is not in the proper place in our life, it begins to try to rule our lives. But money was never meant to rule our lives, but it does have an important role in our lives. Money was never meant to rule our lives, but it does have an important role in our lives. And what I wanna do this morning, really simply, is I wanna look at one chapter from the Bible. I might sprinkle in one or two more verses, but we're gonna read about 20 verses today, and we're gonna look at how to put money in its proper place from a biblical perspective, how to get it from a place of rulership to its right role. God doesn't want money to be a burden, a finance, a stress, an argument creator. So if you have a Bibles, I'm gonna stick with Pastor Nick and we're gonna go to the Chronicles this morning. First Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles 29 and we're gonna walk through some verses. But before we do that, let me give you a little bit of background. King David, king of Israel at the time, wants to build a new temple to God. We sang about the glory filling his temple this morning, his house. David wanted to build a new temple for God. Well, God came to him and said, no. I don't think you should do it. And he listed and gave him some reasons why he shouldn't build in the temple. But I'll say yes to your son Solomon. You can't do it, David, but I'll say yes to your son Solomon. Now David, as the Bible describes him, man after God's own heart, right? He could have stomped off in anger and frustration. Fine, God, you don't want me to build temple. I'm not gonna have anything to do with it. But David doesn't do that. And 1 Chronicles chapter 29 actually chronicles David's response to when God said no to him building the temple and for his son to build it instead. Here we go. 1 Chronicles 29 verse 1. And David the king said to all the assembly, all the people, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, he's young, he's inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord. So David basically says, listen, I'm good with Solomon doing this. I'm good with what God has designed, but he doesn't really have a lot of experience, so I'm gonna help him here. The project's too great for him, but it's not too great for all of us. Verse two. So I have provided for the house of my God as far as I was able. The gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze. Iron for iron, wood for wood. Besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. So what David says is, I can't do this, but Solomon is. He doesn't know how to do it. I'm going to help him. And the first thing I'm going to do to help him is I'm going to open the kingdom storehouse. Uh, when he's talking in this verse, he's not talking about his personal finances. He's talking about the treasure chest of Israel. And he's saying, you know what? I'm going to give, uh, I'm going to give things for gold and things for silver and things for iron and things for wood. He authorized the provision of many of the materials for this project. But he's a good king. He's a good manager because he doesn't strap the entirety of the kingdom's resources. He didn't empty Israel's coffers completely, but he opened them. Verse three, moreover, in addition to all that, I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of what? 
my own. So he says, I want to help Solomon be successful in this. I opened the kingdom resources, and I have a treasure of my own, of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, the gold of Ophir, which apparently was some kind of special gold. I don't know. I, you know, again, 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. And he says, I'm not going to just give kingdom resources here. I'm going to give my own personal finances. David says, I'm willing for this great task to open up my own checkbook and sign on the dotted line. And honestly, I did, I Googled a lot of this. The amount that they, that he gave was staggering. Like in today's dollars, the, the lowest amount that I could find was $20 million. It's a staggering amount. It was a pretty big cushion, Right? A staggering amount. And then he says this. Verse 5, the continuation. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Who wants to join me today? So we got the kingdom. We got David's own personal finances. And then David reaches out to everyone in the assembly, everyone within the sound of his voice, who wants to willingly join me in this? He wasn't going to twist arms. He just wanted to see where they were at, verse six. Then the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the thousands and of the hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. And I'm not going to read all the verses. They're in there. If you got your Bible open or if it's on your phone and you want to read it, they gave gold, silver, bronze, iron, precious stones. They gave away their jewelry. I don't know about you, but if I'm David, I'm kind of like, well, I gave the kingdom. I kind of gave my own. What's everybody else going to do? And I'm wondering if he was wondering if it was going to be crickets, right? We're giving the nation's resources. I'm giving my resources. What about everybody else? Are you willing to freely give? And I just love it. It's a great read. They gave abundantly. And they gave aggressively, and they gave freely, and they gave joyfully. Look at the response from verse 9, jumping down a few verses. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. And the picture, if you read it, is some kind of great party just breaks out among them. The people are excited because they've just given away tons of money. David's excited because he just gave away tons of money. They cranked up the music. I don't know if this is true or not, but David is breakdancing around the throne for the new temple, right? Like they're just excited. It's a huge party. It was a party so big, you would think they won the $336 million Powerball ticket last night, right? Imagine their excitement, their joy 
was not because they received a ton of money. Their excitement was because they gave away a ton of money. Now, this isn't a message about giving, so I leave that for other people, man. I've done a ton of those, man. This message is not about giving. But this scene in 1 Chronicle 29 begs a question. It actually begs a lot of questions. People hilariously, freely, excitedly, overwhelmingly giving gold, silver, everything they have, their jewelry. It begs questions. First one, how do they have so much to give? I mean, they all didn't have the king's treasure. How did they all have so much to give? Why did they give it so willingly? Why did they give it so freely? Why were they filled with so much joy and excitement? Like this scene in this chapter, it begs a lot of questions because I don't know about you, but this scene is completely countercultural to the world that we live in. Isn't it? Like completely, it goes against the grain of greed in our society that is always trying to grow within us. It goes against uh, the advertising and the marketing and the innate nature that we have that to be happy, we have to have more. In this situation, their joy did not come from having more. Their joy came from giving what they had away. How is that possible? How did they flip the switch from money ruling their lives to money having a proper role in their lives? Verse 10. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly and said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. And all that is in the heavens and in the earths is what? Yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above it all. And I don't know if this was a public prayer or a proclamation, but after the jubilation dies down, David grabs the microphone. And he said, we bless you, God. Man, I'll tell you what, I want to be in that room that day just to hear the heart of David. We bless you, God. You are a great God. All power is yours. All glory is yours. All victory and majesty, everything in the heavens above and everything on the earth below, there is nothing in the world that compares to you. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule, you rule over 
all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Why was this scene able to unfold? Because they had God in the proper place, and because they had God in the proper place, every other aspect of their life also fell into place. God, you made it all. God, you own it all. God, you rule over it all. It's all from you. Every good and perfect gift, as James said, comes from the Father above. And in this moment, I have to think they remember the words well that God gave to Moses when the nation of Israel was just forming again, a fledgling nation that was just forming again after being released from over 400 years of slavery. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says this, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. What's the heartbeat of these people? God, you own it all, everything there, everywhere here, and it's you who gives the ability. It's you that gives the strength to produce wealth. You know, we hear a lot today about self-made men, self-made women. And listen, when you're the one making it, you're the one owning it. And when you're the one owning it, that's when things go wrong. This whole chapter is based on an understanding that these people had that it was God that was in all, over all, and providing all. God made man. He gave everything from his hand. He gave us our intellect and our mind. He gave us the ability to think. He gave us the ability to rationalize and do all the things that we do on a daily basis. He gave us uh, the energy, the strength. He put our bodies together. He gave us our hands and our eyes. Like They had a macro from from the sky view looking down on this earth of what God was doing. And they honored God in it. And they blessed God in it. How did they give so much? And why did they do it so willingly? The answer, because it wasn't their money. It wasn't their money. They didn't produce it. They saw it as a gift from their gracious provider. And they were not the owners. God was. Verse 13. And now we thank you. This is such a great verse. You've got to love the Bible. It's such a great verse. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is this people that we should be able to thus offer you willingly? Who, do, who are we? We're nobody. And then listen to this. For all things come from you and of are of what? Your own. Your own. What we've given, what they gave that day, they didn't give their stuff. They didn't give their money. They didn't give their jewelry. They didn't give their wood. They didn't give their iron. They're just saying, what we gave? We gave of your own, God. Not of our own, of your own, God. You know why they weren't stressed about money? 
because they didn't own it. Youngest of nine kids, it's hard to raise a family of three kids, right? Two kids, it's hard to raise that many kids. Youngest of nine kids, I watched my dad work crazy hours my entire life to provide for all these kids. And at one time, he owned a business. And if you know what it is to own a business, owning a business is not easy because you got to do all the quoting, all the running, all the ordering, all the work generally until you can get someone to do it for you. You got to do all the money collecting, which is the worst part. Listen, being a business owner is really, really hard. That's why most of them fail. So you know what my dad did? He was like, enough of this. I'm tired of all this stress and this anxiety and everything that I'm putting himself for. He's a great stonemason, and he went to work for another mason company, and all he did is he went out and he did jobs. And guess what? My dad was a lot less stressed. You know why he was a lot less stressed? Because he was no longer the owner. He was the manager. He was the worker. He didn't have the responsibility Let me say it to you this way. Maybe think of it this way. A company files for bankruptcy. Who do you think has more stress, the employee or the owner? They both have stress, right, because they're both losing. But the owner. And you know when money is not in its proper place? When we're the owner. Because when we're the owner, money, whether we have A little money? Because we can look at this and say, listen, if I had a lot of money, I'd let God have it all, right? But listen, it doesn't matter the level of money you have because if you don't have a lot of money, you know how money's gonna try to rule you? By a lack of gratitude. That's what's gonna happen. But if you have more money, guess how money's gonna try to rule you? Through greed. One way or another, money is going to try to get its clamps, its tentacles. If you're the owner... Money is going to try to own you. They weren't stressed. They weren't panicking. They weren't controlled. Money wasn't running their lives and money wasn't ruling their lives because they had put money in its proper place. You know, there's a biblical word for this concept. It's called steward. The Bible talks about you and I as individuals as stewards. Webster's Dictionary describes a steward as one who manages another's property. One who manages another's property. This whole chapter is based on a right understanding. God is the owner. I'm the manager. He owns it. I distribute it. I thank him. I give. I live. I work. I thank. Owner manager. Verse 15. Same chapter. For we are all strangers before you and sojourners as all of our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. They're just reinforcing. Right? I know my God that you Let's say this one together, that you what? Test the what? They, God, you're the owner. We thank you, this whole verse. And he says, but we know that there's a testing that goes on. There's a trying that you test the heart and have pleasure in our uprightness. That money issues aren't money issues, they're heart issues. 
Isn't that what the New Testament says? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up treasure for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. See, our outlook on money has nothing to do with money. Our outlook with mon- on money has everything to do with our heart. And biblically speaking, all the way back in the Old Testament in the chapter we looked at, 1 Corinthians 29, and all the way to Matthew chapter 6, God cannot be the owner and you cannot be the owner. One of you has to be the owner. One of you has to be the manager. Can't be both. And, th- and frankly, I would rather God be the owner. And I'll just try to manage what he gives me because when I'm the owner, I have a tendency to mess things up, right? Verse 18. Oh, one more verse in Matthew 6 first. Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Listen, if money's your owner, God can't be your owner. If God is your owner, you have a better chance of money not owning you. Like biblically, it's just sown through the entire Bible. First Chronicles 29, verse 18, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, and our fathers, Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in our heart of your people and direct their hearts towards you. What does this verse mean? Read that verse. What does that verse mean? God, don't let our hearts ever get away from what we demonstrated today. Always keep our hearts like this, God. Let them always be lifting up the glory and the majesty and the goodness of who you are. And then keeping everything else in its place. God, don't let our hearts stray away from this moment. Keep us in this place. You see, David was aware of money's power to own, rule, and control us. But money was never meant to rule us but it should have a vital role in our life with God as owner, us as manager. One more verse. Let's stand together. 1 Chronicles 29. Then David, 29 verse 20, then David said to the, all the assembly, bless the Lord your God, And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their hearts and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And they ate and drank before the Lord that day with great gladness. Amen, brother. It's a great, great chapter into the heart of how God views money and how we use it for his kingdom purposes. Father, this morning, 
All morning, I couldn't get these words out of my heart. God, let your word align us with your will. Let your word align us with your will. God, we live in a world that is controlled by money. Everything's about money. We run ridiculous amounts of political ads on TV, and we waste millions of dollars that could be used to save and solve the problems of the world we live in because we're stupid when it comes to money. God, help us. Help us as your people not to get caught up in that. God, let us see as your people that money is a blessing from you that we steward. That it's not something we own that we choose what we're going to do with because when that happens, there's a greater chance of it owning us. And God, it truly doesn't matter if it's a lit or a lot. There's different challenges on both sides of that spectrum. God, as we start this series this month on putting money in its proper place, I just pray that you would open up. God, I'm going to go as far as say, don't open up our wallets right now. Open up our hearts right now. Align our hearts with your heart around this thing that we spend so much time trying to accumulate, so much time trying to figure out how to spend, how much time stressing and having anxiety. God, align our hearts with your heart on this issue. Let us learn the role of money and put money in its proper place. We just lift our hands this morning real quick if you're comfortable doing that. God, we just want to offer our hearts. You just, just take a minute, just talk to the Lord as we close. God, we want to offer our hearts and our lives to you this morning. God, in this really practical issue, we want to get on the spiritual side of this practical issue. We want to see you at work in our finances in a new, in a life-transforming way where we'll be able to be like the people in this chapter. God, you are great. What you're doing, we bless you. We thank you. We honor you. There is no one like you in heaven or on earth. It all comes from you. We are so grateful. Lord, get our hearts to that place. And God, as we offer our hearts up to you this morning, I just pray that you would come and fill this place right now, Lord, and cement your word inside of us today, Lord Jesus. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. And everyone said, amen and amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.